Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up where we cover all the major news and events of the week and bring it to you just before the weekend so you can settle in, relax, get your Bayern fix, get your Germany fix, and just have a good time. And what a week it was once again as we saw the end of the transfer window, a great Bayern Munich victory over Hertha Berlin. We saw the beginning of the Hansi Flick era with Germany, Marcel Sabitzer arriving in Bayern Munich, and several players sticking around Bayern Munich who we did not think would survive the transfer window. And we've got all of it, so let's just, let's get going and talk about some of this. This was a, a very eventful week. We can touch on Bayern's win over Hertha Berlin just very quickly. Hat-trick from Robert Lewandowski. Single goals each from Thomas Muller and Jamal Musiala. Just an overall dominant performance. If you're a Bayern fan, I don't know how you could watch that and not be excited. Julian, Julian Nagelsmann really has started, I think, to really put his touch on this squad. And I think that the squad is starting to respond to him a bit. Now, you'll see over the course of the next few games how this evolution is continuing. But... Uh, as of right now, I think we got to be pretty happy with the results. The only slip up so far was that week one draw with Borussia Mönchengladbach. And to be honest, I wasn't all that upset with that. Uh, so right now, the early returns on Nagelsmann, hey, he's doing great. The team looks like it's headed in the right direction. And with some of the lineup tweaks that he is implementing, I think that this could be a very dangerous squad. And I know it's, this is like a rewind of every single show that I do. But uh, one of those tweaks is Jamal Musiala looks like he has broken through and maybe captured that first slot on the depth chart at wing because, one, he's been phenomenal. And he's been Byron's best winger since the midway point of last season. Uh, he brings pace, dribbling ability, vision, a scoring touch. And just a knack for making things happen. He is really hard to defend. And I don't see how you could bench him. And to me, this is a big test for Nagelsmann as he takes control of this super big ego roster uh, uh, and tries to really assert himself onto it. He's going to have to really tread carefully with this wing situation. All four of these wings are good. Uh, in my mind, Musiala is the best of the lot right now because he simply has performed the best just you know for the last what eight nine months right now I mean he has just been phenomenal and despite the overall talent that Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coman all have Musiala has just been better and it's just I look at things very black and white when it comes to performance uh, among these players and just when I see Musiala out on the pitch I feel like he's going to make something happen and when I see Coman or Gnabry or Sané, I feel like I'm hoping they can make something happen. And part of that is just the rampant inconsistency that all three of those players have been battling over the last two seasons. They're all great talents, and I know that's, that's just me echoing what I say just about every week when we talk about those three players. But right now, there's no way anyone can convince me that Musiala is not the top option at wing and that he should not be starting every game. I think this is where Nagelsmann gets a chance to really make a difference. Uh, and honestly, if he can assert himself and put 
Musiala into the starting lineup, it's going to wake up maybe, or potentially wake up, some of those players like Coman or Gnabry or Sané and hopefully light a fire under them because I think that's exactly what they need. Uh, it's got to be tough when you're that talented and you have a track record in professional football like those three players have to see a young kid like Musiala outperforming you. So I am very interested to see how this all shakes out, but I will give Nagelsmann credit if he can continue to start Musiala, assuming that Musiala keeps performing. So that'll be one thing for us to keep an eye on as the season goes on, how Nagelsmann handles those wings, who he plays in what positions, and, and how they work together. Because really, with Musiala, Bayern looks like a completely different team. Ah, the transfer deadline. Everyone knows what the big move was. Marcel Sabitzer from RB Leipzig. He was a huge get for Brazo and Bayern Munich. And why was he a huge get? Because he can pretty much play everywhere. I mean, one, he's a phenomenal world-class level player. He is dynamic on the pitch, can do so many things, but he offers versatility. And what he can give Nagelsmann aside of that common uh, knowledge they have of each other is the assurance that if someone gets hurt, or someone's going through an off spell that Sabitzer can step in and fill a role. And, and if you think about it, I mean, just let's just take a look at the value for what Byron paid for him, which was you know, rumored to be anywhere from 18 to 20 million. Uh, they got a player who can fill in on both wings, who can play the attacking midfield or either position in a double pivot. So six, eight, 10, seven, and 11, he is your man. He allows you to do so many different things. And, you know, we kicked around some ideas as to exactly how he would fit in at Bayern Munich. And when I look at a Champagne 11, and I wrote about this during the week, I look at putting your best 11 players on the pitch. And to me, Sabitzer is no doubt going to be one of those 11 players. Now, can Nagelsmann make it work? I don't know. That, that's a tough, it's a tough lineup to break into, but I would not be opposed at some point to seeing how he fared on one wing with Jamal Musiala on the other and, you know, having those two work with Lewandowski and Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka. I mean, to me, that is a, a really formidable offensive force there. So I would like to see that. I'm really super excited about Sabitzer. Uh, I think when you group him with Dio Upamakano and Julian Nagelsmann as Byron's primary transfer hall, I think that that's a pretty successful class. And I know that we, you know, we have Omar Richards and some youth players as well, but uh, I'm not so sure on Richards. And to me, hit or miss, it really doesn't matter too much. Brazo went out and got Sabitzer and he got Upamakano and he got Nagelsmann. And I, I'm not one of the Brazo fanboys, right? I, I have been very critical of him, especially at last year's deadline, last summer's deadline where he was, uh, I would say, in panic mode and just bought some players who continue to haunt the club at this point. But I think that Brazo, in this case, identified with Nagelsmann who they wanted, who could make the biggest impact on their team and provide that level of depth that was missing. And you couldn't ask for a better player than Sabitzer. Just his versatility alone, even aside of his talent, makes him such a valuable resource for the club, and I think that this is one acquisition that I can't see going wrong for Brazo. Uh, the other side of this transfer window 
it's not who Byron lost, right? I mean, we know that Jerome Boateng is gone, and Javi Martinez, David Alaba, et cetera, right? They're all gone. Tiago Dantas moved on, moved on. Douglas Costa left even before last season ended, right? So all of those guys, we knew they were gone and they were leaving. But I think what I was expecting was to see Quentin Tolisso transfer out or Mikel Cuisance transfer out, and especially Bunasar. The problem, there are no buyers for these players. And it was really surprising to me about Tolisso because he is a, he is a player that I rate. I think he is a a really valuable central midfielder who can play in an attacking role or he can be a distributor. I think ideally he's a box-to-box guy and I think he's really good at it. I think he makes dynamic runs into the box. I think he's quick. Is he the same player he was before his ACL injury? Absolutely not. I, I don't know if he'll ever be that player again. But he's still good enough to start for someone. And it bugs me that there was no club that was even willing to make Bayern even just a, a like a decent offer to bring him in. And it's a shame because I hate to see a player like that who needs a fresh start more than anything sit on the bench another year. And that's ultimately what might happen. The downside for the club is that it looks like Tolisso, unless he signs an extension, which at this point seems really doubtful, is going to walk away on a free transfer, which is, to me, that's that's a sin. Uh, you can't let that happen if you're Brazo. And for as as much positive impact as Brazo bought to, brought to the club with Sabitzer and Upamakano during this window, to not unload Tolisso, if he is indeed not in the club's future plans, it was a mistake. I think at this point, when you had Sabitzer and you kind of knew you were getting him, uh, you've got Mark Roca, who, again, I don't know if he'll ever really make it, but he's at least here for this season. Uh, I, I thought it was enough coverage that you didn't need Tolisso. And I think, you know, I'm sympathetic to the player in this case. And maybe he wants to be here and maybe he doesn't mind sitting on the bench. And we will touch on that mentality in a bit. But I would think that a player at his age, uh, in the prime of his career, would want to be on the pitch somewhere. So, you know, it'll be disappointing if he walks away for free, but ultimately for him as a player, he's going to have to find a club where he can be a regular, and hopefully he does that. It's really a shame how his career at Bayern Munich played out. Uh, you know, the injuries obviously plagued him, and he had some bad luck even aside of those injuries. So uh, hopefully this this is something that he can work through, have a good year, and really set himself out, set himself up nicely to land in a good spot to get his career back on track. As for Cuisance, oh man, this kid, he kind of drives me crazy, right? Because I see him play, and he'll show you the, the flashes of his talent and what he can do. And then you read the stories about him having a bad attitude or just not having a great work ethic, and it's really a shame. Uh, to me, seeing players like that it's disappointing because you have talent, you have ability. I mean, you made it to this level based on that talent and ability and, and convincing teams to believe in you and give you a chance. And the fact that you can't reciprocate and put out the requisite effort and, and, and be willing to collaborate and communicate with your manager or your coaches, uh, it's just disappointing. It really, really is. And I think Cuisance is is one of those classic case studies of too much too soon. When he was at Borussia Mönchengladbach, he was on his way up, still establishing himself and really gaining some momentum in his career. And moving to Bayern Munich 
was a 10 steps back for him because he wasn't ready for that level of play. He wasn't ready or mature enough to be in that environment every day. He's a kid that needed to be on the pitch all the time. And it's super unfortunate that he moved to Byron when he did because I think that set him back immensely. And then his loan stint did not work out at Marseille. So this this was just a, an altogether a huge mess for Cuisance from the minute that he signed. And aside of Bayern Munich overpaying for him, they just had no plan for him. Like, what were they thinking when they signed him? Where was he going to fit? Because even back then, it was really tough to think about it and figure out where this kid was going to, you know, find a way to fit into the club. So, uh, you know, I was hoping he would be another player that would get an opportunity for a fresh start. But at this point, it doesn't look like there are many clubs interested in him. So he might be stuck with Bayern Munich. How he gets onto the pitch this season, I, I don't know. But this could be another lost year for a young player who badly needed to be on a team where he could play. Finally, the <laughs> the last player who uh, that I was kind of hoping w- would transfer out was Bunasar. And listen, there is such a mix of people debating this Bunasar topic, right? So let's get a couple things out of the way right now. Yes, it is Brazo's fault for signing him to a four-year deal that paid him more than anyone else was going to. And I've seen some numbers kicked around, everything from 2.2 million euro to 2.8 million euro euro a year. Uh, We could call it somewhere around 2.5 and probably uh, be in the neighborhood there. But it's just, it's unfortunate, right? So he was one of the quote unquote panic buys of the summer of 2020 transfer window. Uh, he was one of those deadline deals that really, really just was not a good idea. And I know that Brazo at that point was feeling some heat because it wasn't just Flick, Hansi Flick, telling everyone that the roster was thin. There was pressure from the media, pressure from the fans. And Brazo went out and he found a player who was a veteran who seemingly should have been able to come in and not embarrass himself when he got on the pitch. Unfortunately, Saar has been an, an outright disaster in nearly every appearance that he's had. And I get it. There are some people that think that some segments of the fan base, and probably me included in that, are too hard on him. But I have to be honest, I don't see this willingness or this desire to improve from him when he's on the pitch. To be honest, I, I didn't get the move when it happened. Our guy Marcus Ard, uh, Iredal, like lampooned it when it happened. He couldn't believe that Bayern signed a player like Bunasar. But... I think what Saar has done over the past couple of weeks, rejecting offers from three different clubs to to leave uh, because he didn't want to take a pay cut, it really has rubbed me the wrong way. And this is another one of those things, let's, let's get it out of the way. Yes, it is his prerogative to sit there and collect, you know, whatever it is, 2.5 million euro on the bench. And that's fine. And he, he can do that. It was Byron's fault for paying him. But I tried to comment on this on our blog and, you know, I wanted to clarify what I'm saying is I don't have a lot of respect for that because I think as an athlete, it's all about competition. It's all about wanting to get on the pitch. Now, it would be one thing if, if Bunasar was here and he was going to be competing with Benjamin Pavar or Josip Stanisic for one of the first two right back slots. But right now, conceivably, he is the fifth option. So 
Let's go right down the list. Benjamin Pavar, who has been widely criticized by a lot of segments of the Bayern Munich fan base, is the number one. Josip Stanisic is the number two, and he is on the upswing. A young kid has really looked good, has shown some potential. Some people even think he could ultimately win this job eventually from Benjamin Pavar. But either way, those two players are the top two. No doubt about it. They've been the top two performers at the position, uh, you know, <laughs> what, in the last year, obviously, with Pavar and with Stanisic coming in, really establishing himself this summer. I think it's pretty much locked down with those two top spots. But assuming those two players got COVID or injured or whatever, and Bayern needed to put another player there, I think they would use Nicholas Sula because you've got Luca Hernandez, you've got Dayo Upamakano, you've got Tengai Nianzu. Those are three good center backs. If you're running a back four, you only need two. So you could move Sula out to right back where he has shown himself to be very capable and definitely better than Buna Sar. So, okay, so Sar drops down the four immediately. The problem with that is your CDM, Yashua Kimmich, would probably be the best right back in the world if he chose to play that position. But he wants to be a central midfielder. He's proven himself to be very good there. But now you have Marcel Sabitzer. So if there was some kind of reason to bump Joshua Kimmich out to right back, I'm sure Julian Nagelsmann could work that out with Kimmich to get his best 11 on the field. So, yes, I think Bunasar is the fifth option. I don't really like what he's doing in terms of being an athlete and sitting there. And he can say he wants to stay and fight for his position, but he's lost. This is not a fight he can win or will win. I mean, you just have to look down the depth chart to see the, see where he is in it. To me, I, I don't understand the mentality. And, and some people might say, well, what do, you, what do you want him to do? Quit? Fight? Give up? Yeah, yeah. He's not winning this. It's not giving up. It's being sensible about your career. You're 29. You, want, you should want to play. Now, listen, I get that he wants to collect the money. But, I mean, what are we talking about with the pay cut? That's what I'd want to know. Are we talking about a couple of hundred thousand? Are we talking about as much as a million? I would love to know that because I would love to know what exactly drove his decision-making here. I feel like, I don't know, if I were in his shoes and I was not going to go on the pitch anytime soon and I was a professional athlete, that I would want to be on the field and I would want to prove myself that way. If I was in a spot where I was the fifth choice, you know, sorry, I, <laughs> I would want to move on and that's just me. And it's not a willingness to stay and fight, but are you really going to climb over four other players? No, it's not happening. Let's be realistic about that. So while I think a lot of us were hoping that Bunasar was going to leave, that didn't happen. So, I mean, overall, if you ask me, I give this transfer window a solid, solid B+. I think it could have been better if Brazo was able to work out some deals to sell players. But if you get Sabitzer, you get Upamakano, and you get Nagelsmann, you know, I think you've done really well. And there were also some minor deals with some younger players that, that Brazo made that I think have some potential. So overall, I'm not the not the biggest Brazo fan. I don't always agree with his transfer policies. I absolutely did not agree with how he disregarded Hansi Flick's input. Uh, but he did well here. He did about as good as he could in getting a player in Sabitzer that the team desperately needed. And finally, I think what we'll look at 
And I touched on this because I did the post-game show for the Germany-Lechtenstein match. Um, I just want to touch on just some quick thoughts about Hansi Flick's first game. And, you know, after, you know, I did the post-game show and I've, I've been on social media and I've, I've read some of the reactions, I'm really shocked at how many people are openly disappointed, almost ridiculing the fact that, that Germany won the game 2-0. Uh, yeah, it's Liechtenstein. Everybody understands that. This is it is a team that that Germany should be able to put away quite handily with six goals, and that should be that. But Liechtenstein had a game plan. They had a game plan to put eleven people in their own box, a goalie and ten field players who had no intention of going forward. It, they, in fact, it didn't even really seem like they had any attempt to put a put any type of pressure on Germany. And yeah, that's hard to play against. I, I mean like yes, Germany has world class players. And yes, they probably should be able to to troubleshoot on the pitch and find ways to beat that, but there was no room to be had. And what I was encouraged about and why I was so optimistic about it is that Germany didn't give up. They didn't look frustrated. They kept working and they kept trying to get that first goal. And eventually they did in the thirty 41st minute when Timo Werner com- converted a pass from Jamal Musiala and-, and gave Germany that lead. And I felt like that was a good breakthrough moment, not just for Werner, not just for Musiala, but for the entire team as a whole, because it really was the culmination of a lot of hard, continued hard work. There were no lulls. There was no laps. There was nothing like we saw when Yogi Love was at the helm. And yeah, you can say maybe I'm a little too pro-flick hyped up, but I think that's the impact that Flick has. I thought that Germany never stopped working, and I, I can't tell you the last time I would have said that, uh, you know, when Yogi Love was was at the helm. I just, I never felt like the players were fully respond to, responding to him at any point over the last three years. And I feel like this was a breath of fresh air. And, and I'm not going to worry about a 2-0 two, two victory. It was a victory in his first game as manager of Die Mannschaft. So I think Hansi Flick deserves a lot of credit. I think things are headed in the right direction. I'm not going to get overly excited about Lechtenstein, but I'm not going to downplay it or ridicule it or mock it either. I think that this is what Germany needed. This was the change that they needed. And I think Flick's going to do well with this roster. I, I really do. I think a lot of these players, including players like Werner and Havertz and Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, I mean, all of these are players who he's always wanted to coach, some who he's had before, but others that he's wanted to have on his club roster. So I think this is his chance to really show the world his footballing brain, and I think he intends to do that, and I wouldn't be shocked if he takes this generation of German football players who have really come under a lot of heat and he takes them to great heights at the World Cup, I think that he is the type of coach who is able to impact not just teams, but a culture. And with him being able to do that, I don't see this dramatic, long journey to turn things around. I think he's going to make the most of this get everything headed in the right direction and make Germany a formidable contender once again. And I don't, you know, to me, like it was just kind of crazy. Like I'm, I'm driving in my car afterwards and I'm thinking about the game and the comments by, by a lot of people. And I was really bothered me. I, (laughs) I didn't really understand it. And listen, 
I know failure. <laughs> I understand frustration. I am a native Philadelphian. I spent the greater part, well, my entire childhood, uh, my adolescence, my early adulthood, and now I guess I'm in my middle age now. Is that is that where I am? God, that's scary and sad. It's really sad. But I've spent my entire life being frustrated with sports teams, uh, knowing failure, and, and having to accept it time after time after time again. And being a fan of, of Germany and seeing what's going on, I, I feel optimistic. And maybe I am. Maybe I'm Charlie Brown and Hansi Flick is waiting there with the football as Lucy and he's waiting for me to come charging at it and take a big kick at and and maybe he'll pull it away at the last minute and I'll fall on my ass once again. But, uh, you know, that would be fitting. But I don't think that's going to happen. I really do think he is the man for the job. And I liked what I saw. Maybe I'm, I'm overly optimistic. I, I don't know. You guys tell me in the comments. But I'm happy about it. And, uh, you know, this will be a very exciting period in German football that I think we should sit back, relax, and enjoy for once. We don't need to overreact to everything or rant about everything. And I'm great for a rant. I am awesome at that. But right now, I'm not motivated for it. I'm, I'm good with a 2-0 victory. And, you know, I think that'll that'll do it for this episode. Uh, it was quite, quite a week. And, you know, as you know, we've got two more Germany games coming up. And you can get all of the great coverage of those games, along with the continued news that does not stop, even when the team's out of session for Bayern Munich. Uh, you get that every day at Bavarian Football Works. So keep reading us. Keep downloading our podcast. We love it when you guys interact with us. So drop some comments. Hit us up on social media. You can find any of our contributors on Twitter. You can get me at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site account, which is Bavarian FB Works, which is run by Tommy Adams. Uh, masterfully run by Tommy Adams, I should say. Uh, you can get him there. You can also get him on his personal account, ladies. Uh, at Tommy Adams 71 DMs are open. Uh, you can also get Jefferson at Jake at Jefferson Fenner. You can get I need no name at BFWINNN. For all the latest, greatest football news, Bayern news, Germany news, transfer rumors, you can always get us at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the weekend warm up, and we will see you next time.